0: Welcome to the Worst Best Sellers, where sometimes we actually read good stuff. I'm Kate. And I'm Renata. And this is our annual book year in review, part one. Uh, So for this part, if you are new to the podcast or if you normally just skip these episodes because you don't care about good books and you only want to hear about bad books, uh, this is the time of year where we put together a list of our top five best and number one worst book that we read this year in four different categories. Uh, This episode is going to focus on children's and middle grade and young adults, and uh, the next episode will be adults and comics and graphic novels. Yeah, and a couple
1: clarifying points we'd like to make. Um, this is not things only that were published in twenty seventeen. It's anything that we read this year, including backlist stuff, um, because because not everybody reads stuff the year it comes out. Okay,
0: God. Also. When we say worst in this case, obviously you're used to hearing worst in a particular uh, category here on this podcast, Uh, but this is books that we've read outside the podcast. So for a lot of these categories, the quote unquote worst book that we read this year was just the least best book that we read. We might have read ten stellar books in a particular category, but one of them has to be at the bottom of the list, so this is not necessarily what you're going to you've come to expect as a worst book from us from listening to this show,
1: yeah, it's like five good books and one fine book actually yes. that's not true i I read a lot of garbage this year, and we'll talk about that shortly,
0: <laughs> yeah, and which is a thing too because if you have listened to these episodes in the past and you are listening again this year, you might notice that we cut out uh, some of the worst book dramatic readings. And the reason for that is Renata reads books for her job. She's a librarian. Um, She needs to know what's out and what's coming out and what her patrons are going to be interested in. I am not in a book field anymore, and I only have enough time to read what I can read in addition to the rest of my life and reading shitty books for this podcast. So I only read good books now. With the exception of one category, everything that I've read that's my quote-unquote worst for this year was great and I generally really liked, but I needed to fill that category <laughs> with something, and that was the thing that I was least engaged with. Brag. Brag yeah, so its so we we cut out some of the the worst book dramatic readings just because you know, it's funny if we read a really terrible book and we're sharing some of that with you. But when we're just like, you know my some of my worst books are really good, and it's hard to find like be like, oh, well, here's some really good prose from a book that I just didn't like that much as a, an example of why it's the worst.
1: So um, we decided in the interest of time and and in the interest of this being sort of a break from our regular podcast, we're not going to read any of the worst dramatic readings. We're only going to read you small highlights from the best to hopefully convince you to go out and read those books. So hooray for Yay. good books.
0: And, you know, mediocre
1: books. And Yeah. <laughs> yeah i I by the way, before we get into this, I have a couple uh questions to answer regarding the last episode. A lot of people wanted to know how much rum we put in the hot lemonade uh one shot we all each had one shot of rum, and just some of us can't handle our alcohol very well. It's me, I can't I'm sorry, it wasn't on <laughs> <a> purpose. <laughs> It wasn't, and then uh, those of you who wouldn't say you did not think it was funny that we got so drunk. I'm sorry, it was not on purpose. It just happened. I'm very sober right now, so don't worry about
0: it. It is interesting to me not to harsh on any of you who might have not enjoyed the end of that episode. our our purposely drunk episodes are like the most downloaded episodes of this podcast.
1: Oh, yeah, and I mean, a lot of people also wrote and said they thought it was hilarious, but just yeah. a few people, yeah, didn't. It's just and like, that's which is totally fine. Because like... I get it. Like when people are drunk, they're not as funny as they think they are. That's a fact. <laughs> but again, sober morning drinking coffee only. Let's get this party started, All and then right. drink hot lemonade afterwards to celebrate <laughs> responsibly. God no. <laughs> Uh. All right, so we're starting off with our uh, children slash middle grade books, which are roughly things aimed at kids like 12 and under, but it's it's always a little blurry. This category is between middle grade and young adult, but we're going to try. And uh, we'll do our top five favorite counting down from five until we get to our best one and then our worst one or simply least best.
0: All right. Um, so I'll start and my uh, number five best book for middle grade this year is actually a series and it is the Shadow House series by Dan Poblaki. He's been on this list a couple other times. I really like his books. He writes good creepy books. Uh, this is a series that is about, God, now I have to count. One year I will learn to look up the summaries of all of the books that I read this year before we do this mm podcast. Uh several children from all across um the country in different circumstances get various letters inviting them to a particular estate in what it sounds like upstate New York and um like one is twin brothers who are actors and they're invited to a new movie set. Uh, another is a, a little orphan girl who is invited to her like mysterious missing great aunt's house to be adopted. Um, another kid is going to a music school, another kid to a boarding school, and uh, once they get in this house, they realize that something sinister is what has brought them all there, and it does not want them to leave. So I listened to the first three of these books all together, one after the other, and I think that that is what has put it this high up on my list, which is not to say that the books aren't good, but it's one of those, like, manufactured series where they, they... buy it and they're like okay this is going to be a series this is what we're commissioning which is great um i think when you're like 12 as an adult the kind of artificial cliffhangers this is true not just of children's books but of adult books and and uh young adult books as well the kind of like cliffhangers that are inserted at the end of every book get to be a little frustrating, but being able to listen to three of them all together in one chunk actually made it very satisfying. Cause it, there was like a nice wave of action going throughout the three of them and like coming to these cliffhangers that got resolved and then more. And yeah, uh, you don't care about any of that though. They're just, they're spooky books. They're fun. Uh, they're on Hoopla, the audiobook, So you should listen to them.
1: Hooray. My fifth favorite children's book of the year was called me and marvin gardens by a.s king who i had definitely have mentioned her young adult books before as favorites of mine this is her first middle grade book i have to say i didn't like it quite as much as i like her ya stuff which always has um a, like a, a very kind of dark and weird magical realism running through it and this was a little well it's it's the story of a boy named obi who um, he lives in kind of a, a rural-ish area that's being turned into a subdivision. So it's, there's a lot of construction happening. He doesn't like it because he'd liked having kind of a private space where there's like a creek that he would play in and not a lot of neighbors. And then he discovers this weird animal that he's never seen anything like it before. Um, it's kind of like a messed up dog, but it eats plastic and it only eats plastic. And he calls it Marvin Gardens because he likes play Monopoly. And then it it becomes a little bit didactic in its environmentalism, where it's like, oh, no, there's too much plastic, and it's, like, ruining the environment. But Marvin Gardens eats plastic, so he's, like, helping to clean it up. And then, you you know, there's kind of a plot about how to save Marvin and save the landscape from um, pollution. And it's it's, like, a little bit... Fern Gulley, but I like Fern Gully like it's a good message to have it's just um a little more sort of straightforward black and white than Amy King's YA stuff but it's for a younger audience um I think for for kids who are very like save the earth like they'll it's going to resonate a lot more than with someone who's like a little bit jaded such as me But what I do like more, I would say, than the environmental plotline is it does have this very realistic way of looking at Obi's friendships and how he's, he's not, like, a very popular kid, but it's not just sort of a straightforward, like, I'm being bullied. It gets a little bit more deeply into, like, how your friendship's fall apart when you get a little bit older and how you find out that you have different hobbies because, you know, his former best friend, they used to play together in the Creek and now the, the older friend is getting like cool and he doesn't want to play outside in the Creek anymore. And so like cool boy stuff. And it's all kind of tied into the way the neighborhood's changing. So that part I think is really well done. And again, I did like it. I just It is a different turn from her YA stuff which I prefer, but this is still the, my
0: fifth favorite middle grade book I read this year, so that's pretty good. Excellent. So my number four book was Inside Out and Back Again by Thanh Ho Lai. Uh, I think this book's a couple years old. It is a semi-autobiographical novel told in verse, and uh, it's about a young girl and her family who are fleeing Vietnam right after the fall of Saigon at the end of the Vietnam War and her mother and her brothers and her are headed off to America and it is just a really like sad and beautiful and hopeful book detailing her experiences first with all of the things that she loves in her home in Vietnam and then the um the journey across the ocean in this boat which sucked Obviously, and once they get to Florida, settling in at a refugee camp, trying to find uh, an American family that will sponsor them and allow them to move to a community within the country. Obviously, a lot of this ended up being very timely to be listening to this year, um, but it's beautiful. The verse is beautiful the story is great obviously and it was very engaging just i was listening i mean all of these were things that i listened to on audio but i was listening to it you know in the car during my daily commute and there were a couple times that i just sat in the parking garage listening to the end of a chapter yeah so if you haven't read that one yet like i said it's a couple years old definitely pick it up it's a quick read and it's definitely worth it
1: my number four middle grade book is full cicada moon by marilyn hilton um, also a few years old. Uh, this is one that I had heard recommended from the description. I wasn't totally sold on it as being something that would be of interest to me. It's a novel told in verse. It's set in the year um, 1969 to 1970 over that school year. Um, and it's the story of a half black, half black American, half Japanese girl named Mimi And her father's a college professor, and so they move away from San Francisco to this very small town in Vermont, where, as you can imagine, she is the only half-black, half-Japanese girl in that town. Um, There's not even very many, like, black kids or Asian kids. Like, she's very, in a very white small town. And it's sort of about her adapting to that and dealing with you know microaggressions macroaggressions but also dealing with kind of the sexism of the era where she you know at her school all the girls have to take home ec and all the boys take shop class and she really wants to take shop class because she's extremely interested in science and you know the the space program which is very new at that time and she wants to build this model to to show the different phases of the moon, but she needs to be able to use tools to do it. So she has this, like, specific goal. She wants to take a shot to do it. And it's sort of about her movement in the school to get that done and eventually making friends and, and learning about the differences in, in, in some of her other fellow students' families' lives. And it's kind of a book where... It's a lot just about Mimi's voice as a narrator, like through her poems. And she is such a compelling narrator that even though it's it's not a book that has a plot where like a lot of things happen, like just the way that she tells them is so engaging. And you just like really root for her as a character. And it was really great to read for that reason. And also, I mean, I think if you are... Uh, a reader who is more interested in like science and space and NASA and like uh, engineering than I am I think that is also great for like other readers to be like oh here's a girl who who likes science and stuff but I'm not that inherently interested in that so I was more <laughs> in it just like for her narration but I I'm glad it exists especially for other readers so I think it'll click with even
0: more than it did for me my number three book in middle grade this year was The Girl Who Drank the Moon by Kelly Barnhill. This book won the Newberry in 2016 for the, tw- the 2016 Newberry or 2017. I don't know how it works. Came out in 2016, and it won the Newberry for the books that came out that year. And I'm tired and can't remember huh. how that works, but it's very good. <laughs> Is the point i love kelly barnhill's writing this is the third time that her work has ended up on my end of year best of list i just the way that she writes characters and found family situations and friendships and magic and does the world building for these fantastical worlds just blows me away every time um I loved Iron Hearted Violet, which was the first book of hers that I listened to, and I loved The Witch's Boy, and I loved this book. It is about a witch who... It was about a town, I guess, is where to start with all of the, mm-hmm. the politics of this world where every year they believe that they have been cursed by this witch and they need to take a, a baby and leave it out in the woods. For the witch to come and destroy And this is sort of used obviously As a uh, way to keep the townspeople In line by the people who are in charge Uh, As it turns out The witch has noticed that every year This town abandons a baby in the woods And she has to save it because otherwise it's going to be killed in the woods by the animals there. Uh, So every year she makes the journey to pick up this child and uh, bring it to the towns on the other side of the continent and gift it to families that can't have children. And um, this particular year, while she's traveling across the woods to bring the child to the other side of the continent, she accidentally when feeding her starlight feeds her some moonlight as well, which gives her magic. And as she grows up and this magic becomes more volatile and she starts to go through, uh, you know, first like the terrible twos and then puberty and having all of these issues, her magic is, is kind of sealed up when she's a child to keep it from coming out. I'm making a mess of explaining this plot to you. It's really good. I swear. It's very long. There's a lot of working parts and they're all great. And I sobbed through the end. I was going to the doctor. I think I was going to the optometrist. (laughs) And I sat in the parking lot of the doctor's office and cried like a child through the entire like last 10 minutes and then like an additional five minutes. And then I had to go inside (laughs) looking like my dog had just gotten hit by a car. So yeah, you should read this one.
1: I did read that one, Kate, and I also liked it a lot. It's very, it's very beautifully told. Yes. All right. My number three favorite middle grade book is another uh, backlist title. It's How I Became a Ghost by Tim Tingle this is one i heard about a few years ago and i was like jesus christ that sounds depressing i don't want that and then uh i think i've mentioned this on the podcast before like ever since the election i have been way more drawn to historical fiction because i'm just like it it gives me hope to be like oh things are fucked up but then they got sort of better like we are not fucked up in this particular way anymore and so i was like okay maybe i can handle this book now and so how i became a ghost is narrated by a young boy named isaac who's on the he's a choctaw boy and he's on the trail of tears of his family and he tells you up front like i'm a ghost now i died on the trail of tears i'm going to tell you like how i died and so that's kind of why i didn't want to read. It. i was like that sounds extremely sad i don't, don't want to read that for fun um but I, I'm i glad that I did read it, because, I mean, it is hella sad, and I did cry a bunch. But it's not quite as, uh, like, soul-crushing as I thought that it might be, just because his attitude about becoming a ghost, and then, like, what happens after he becomes a ghost, it's, it's influenced, I guess, by Choctaw culture. The author Tim Tinkle also is Choctaw. And it's, it's influenced by that cultural perspective on death and ghosts and, like, ancestors. And so it is, I don't want to say hopeful because it's still, I mean, horrible. Like, the, the I want to go on record. The Trail of Tears is horrible. But there is sort of this hopefulness in his tone and in the narration just in that, you know, his, his culture survives and like he knows that as a ghostly narrator like he knows that the choctaw culture like is stronger than like what has happened to them and he knows it endures and it's really moving but also like it's really funny in places too it's it's not just start to finish sad 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 like i thought that it might be although again it is sad but it's uh and it's it's funny it's an it's a really uh Different way to tell this story through this narrator, and I I definitely recommend it to any fans of historical fiction, or if you want to just cry a, a little bit, just go ahead and read
0: How I Became a Ghost <laughs> by Tim Tingle. <laughs> My number two book for 2017, uh, middle grade, is Summer Lost by Ali condy which I think this is also this also might be backlist. I don't know. I don't pay a lot of attention to dates when books come out.
1: Yeah. I, th- I think it came out maybe a year or so ago. Yeah.
0: Uh, unless I'm on the hold list for it and I have to put myself on the hold list for it. Then, you know, obviously, but this is a story of a young girl named Cedar who's moving to, or going to, no, moving to a town um, where she used to spend summers as a kid with her mother and her brother. After the, Death of her father and Younger brother in a Car accident So the family is still like feeling kind of Fractured and they're moving into this Town that she has a lot of fond memories Of because they have this big Summer Shakespeare festival Called Summer Lost And she finds out that this is the last year that Some of the festival is going to be going on Because they're breaking down They're knocking down a bunch of the old theaters And rebuilding things And, uh, you know, it's kind of weighing on her and she ends up getting a job working uh, concessions at the festival for the summer, thanks to a friend she makes named Leo, who is she sees him riding his bike in like old timey garb past her house every day. And is finally like, okay, like what is happening and follows him to the festival. And she also gets a job as well. And Leo convinces her. Uh, to help him with this idea that he had to create a walking tour of the town about this famous actress who died mysteriously and was from the town and used to perform in the Shakespeare Festival. So they do do this, like, secret thing and bump into all of these mysteries surrounding her death at the same time, Uh, and simultaneous to that, there's mystery in her own house where someone or something keeps leaving little gifts for her on her windowsill. And they're all very similar things to that, to things that her, uh, her dead autistic brother used to give her when he was alive. So she's Mm -hmm. starting to wonder who is doing this and why, and why there, there are things that are in line with things that her brother would have seen. And it's, it's sad and it's, lovely and funny and weird and it was a book that like as I was listening to it I was like well this is fine this is fine but every time I thought well you know if you're not really enjoying it you should just turn it off and turn on something else and I was like no I think I'm enjoying it and then by the end I realized like through the last hour of the book that I just like it, I was completely enthralled by it, and totally in love with it, and it just kind of snuck up on me how much I ended up really liking it. But it was really good, and you should read it. I've been wanting
1: to read it. Uh, she wrote the Match Trilogy for a YA audience, and I actually love the Match Trilogy. So, hooray. Yeah. Alright, my number two favorite middle grade book of the year was, well i just picked the first one of the series i read almost all of the series this year it's the birch bark house series by louise Erdrich, and um, the first book is just called the birch bark house and these are often have been bandied about as like an alternative for reading the little house in the prairie series and they're very much like little house in the prairie in in tone except that you know, of course, Louise Erdrich is an Ojibwe Ojibwa woman, and so these are from the point of view of an Ojibwa family, and the um, uh, the first one is in 1847, but, so it's just, you know, realistic historical fiction about this family and kind of their day-to-day life, and I know I've mentioned on the podcast before that the Little House and the Prairie books are definitely, like, a uh, problematic, but they were books that I did really love as a kid and I still have a real fondness for any kind of sort of boring historical fiction where it's just like here's a lot of here's a lot of detail about um how we made jam. Uh but not Outlander levels. It's got to be less than Outlander, but I'm in for like a moderate amount of boring details with historical life. <laughs> And, uh, and this gives you that, but again, from the Ojibwe perspective, which I hadn't really been taught in school, and so it is a lot fresher for me to read than something like Little House in the Prayer or something from, like, a white Western point of view. So I like that. Um, these are about... Uh, the first one, is, it follows a family, so they're all about different kids, but this one is about Amaiacus, who is seven, and she's just, like, a really fun narrator she uh she's kind of jealous of some other girls there's a a a cousin of hers who's like very strong and like kind of gets to do boy stuff and she has to do the kind of more boring girl stuff but then it is about her kind of learning the value of all the different tasks that everyone does and also she has a pet crow friend which is just delightful um, anyway, so I've I've also loved a lot of Louise Erdrich's adult stuff. If you've read any of her books, um, you know, Love Medicine, Master Butcher's Singer Club, all that, you know she's a really beautiful, poetic writer, and she is that as well in her children's books. She's just great. This whole series is really compelling. I'm into it. It's The Birchberg House by Louise Erdrich.
0: Did she write, uh, it was like the one where there was, there was the, um, there was a murder and yeah, she's written a couple, past... like, The Roundhouse, she's written a couple, like, sort of mystery set on Indian reservations or around there. Okay, I think, I don't think that's the one, but yeah, I think that she wrote that. And I really like that book that I can't remember the title of or the plot of, but... Okay. <laughs> or I think La Rose was also a mystery, maybe? I didn't read that one. Yeah.
1: Anyway, yeah, she's written some sort of murder mystery-adjacent um, books as well. Something right, for everyone, cool. Louise Erdrich. <laughs>
0: So now we're up to my number one book for middle grade audiences that I read this year, and it is perhaps unpredictably, if you have ever met me or listened to this podcast or talked to me for five seconds, uh, "Starcrossed" by Barbara D. Shocking no one, I'm sure, who knew that this book came out this year and that I read it. Crossed is the story of a young girl named Maddie who is she's in middle school she's in eighth grade and her class is reading a Shakespearean play this year and they're going to put the play on for the entire school and at first she's kind of like meh about this uh, her friend Tessa is like super into Shakespeare and goes to theater camp every year and is over the moon with how excited she is about this but it's not until Maddie actually gets the script in her hands and reads the entire play in, like, one night that she realizes that, like, Shakespeare's really good and she's really into the the story. And uh, the story is that of Romeo and Juliet. And Maddie, earlier in the story, went to a Halloween party that she wasn't actually invited to. She crashed a party because her the the popular girl in class invited her two best friends, but not her. So she went as Darth Vader with a mask over her face so that nobody could tell that she was crashing the party. And initially she went to kind of talk to her crush and see what he's, like, really like and whether or not he actually likes her. But she ends up escaping to the upstairs kitchen where she meets this new transfer student to the school, a girl named Gemma, who just moved from London and ends up really enjoying the time that she spends with her and thinking that she's really pretty and really wanting to be her friend and, like, sit with her and talk to her. And when Gemma gets cast as Juliet in the play, like, she's very excited because, of course, Gemma would be Juliet, because she's so pretty and wonderful and kind and amazing. And very quickly, a friend points out to her that she has a crush on Gemma. And the book is sort of her... Uh, both coming to terms with that fact and also with the fact that she is, through a set of circumstances, cast as Romeo, which was not the initial intention, but the person who played Romeo quit and she was the one who had been helping him with his lines. So she was the only other person who knew the part and kind of dealing with, with that, with acting and playing a boy and playing a boy against a girl who she realizes she has a crush on trying to understand the fact that she has had crushes on both boys and girls and what that means. And it was just like very sweet, very happy. And it had a great, happy ending. There were very strong, like family relationships and friendships and everything that she felt was just like, so real. (laughs) (laughs) I read this on a plane, and I kept having to, like, stop and put my head in my hands because it was, like, so accurately a reflection of things that I felt when I was that age, that I felt when I was dealing with kind of unraveling why I had certain feelings for certain girls and what it means and all of that. And it was just very sweet I cried happy tears it's not a sad book but it was just a book that I wish I had when I was like 13 years old and it's really good and I absolutely recommend that you read it which I know I've said that for all of these books Mm -hmm. and obviously as my top five books that I've read in this category for this year obviously I think you should read them but if you like queer love stories with happy endings like here is a very sweet and young one that i want to put in the hands of every like young girl who's questioning her sexuality and her attraction to people and it's wonderful it sounds good i would like to read that one i have it on kindle should you (laughs) So I'm going to read a little bit of it, if I can figure, remember how my Kindle works and find where I bookmarked. So this is right after one of Gemma's friends calls her out on her crush on Gemma. Or one of Maddie's friends calls her out on her crush on Gemma. And she, yeah, is walking home. And that's where we are. I zombie walked home. My little brothers were racing around the living room in their stormtrooper costumes And I did a demented thing. I asked if I could play with them. They were both shocked because I only ever played with them as a bribe. But that day, I actually wanted to put on the Darth Vader costume, be covered from head to toe, talk into a voice changer thingy. And especially to have lines to say already written and pre-acted. Because I didn't want to have to think. I didn't even want to improvise. The Force is strong with this one. I am your father. You don't know the power of the dark side. "'I really appreciate this, Maddie,' Mom said as she called us into supper. "'I was on the computer all afternoon with a work deadline.' "'Anytime,' I lied. "'After supper, which I could barely swallow, I started my math homework, but I couldn't focus. "'Because, oh my God, is Lucy right? Can I possibly have a crush on Gemma? "'I really liked her. Really, really, in fact. "'Yes, but why?' "'Because she was smart?' And funny. And pretty. Although pretty wasn't relevant, not to friendship, right? I wasn't friends with Tessa and Lucy because of pretty. So why did pretty matter with Gemma? It shouldn't. It didn't. Okay, fine. Why else did I like her? That accent. But it was more than the accent. It was her voice. Whispery, but clear and strong. Also, I liked that she liked words. She liked saying them. Remember all those T sounds in her tryout? And she liked expressions the same way I did. And the way she said her lines was like Shakespeare had written the words just for her. Of course he hadn't, but seriously, she was super talented. Yeah, but Tessa was talented too. Even AJ said his lines incredibly well. So did Willow for that matter. So it definitely wasn't just about talent. Then what was it I liked about Gemma? I thought I liked the way she wanted to be friends, despite Willow. I liked the way she wasn't shy about kissing Liam. I liked her braid, the way it fell over her shoulder. I liked the pink streak in her hair at tryouts. The way her eyelashes were wet on the balcony. The way she smelled like Gemma powder. The way she crossed her eyes at me on stage. The way she leaned over my rehearsal calendar. The way she dueled me with a straw the way she laughed, the way she called us we. All right, I told myself, but even if you felt all those things, if you added them up, did it equal a crush? And if it did, not that I was saying it was a crush, just if, would it mean that you were gay or a lesbian or whatever word you were supposed to call it if you only liked one particular girl? Who wasn't just any girl but the star of our show, the perfect choice for Juliet? Who, let's face it, everybody liked. Because the weird thing would be not to have a crush on Gemma. Or were you just I mean, was I overthinking again? So that was a good book. And yeah. you should read it.
1: Okay, fine. I will. Okay, good. <laughs> Alright. Well, my favorite middle grade book of the year is The First Rule of Punk by Celia Perez. And This is the story of a girl named Maria Luisa, a.k.a. Malu, and she is um, half Mexican-American, half white-American, and um, very—her dad is white, and he owns a record store, and he is, like, a real—he's, like, a real hipster, and um, because of him— Like, Malu has grown up at this record store, and she's, like, a kind of a hipster, but also, like, she's very interested in punk music specifically and, like, the punk scene. And she makes zines, which is, you know, adorably retro. And this is actually not the only book I read this year that is trying to make zines make a comeback among the youth, which I actually hope happens, because I love it as an idea. And I think, you know, why not? Why not? Let's make zines. Um, but so, she, if you don't know what a zine is, just Google it. I don't care. Um, <laughs> so she she makes her own little zines to kind of express herself. And they oh, and they live in San Francisco, and she, like she loves it there. But then her mother, who is a professor, gets a visiting you know scholarship position in Chicago and her parents are divorced but her mom has primary custody and so she has to move with her mom to chicago for two years for this position and she's super mad about it she doesn't want to go to stupid chicago she loves san francisco she loves her like the record shop and like all the culture there actually i'm sorry it's not san francisco that was a different book um where i was gonna say that
0: was very interesting that you read two books where a professor character moves the family from San Francisco yes.
1: she is but a professor but they were living in Florida they were living in Jacksonville Florida they moved to Chicago whatever they don't spend that much time there it's mostly in Chicago <laughs> So they they moved to Chicago. Uh, she's bummed about it. She doesn't fit in. Um, she goes to a school. They're living in a neighborhood that is uh, majority Latino, and so she ends up at this school where you'd think she would fit in because she is like half Mexican American, but she quite, kind of feels like. She's not Latina enough to fit in. She gets called a coconut for being brown on the outside and white on the inside because she likes, you know, the music that her dad likes. And she likes all this other stuff. And so she hates it at first. And then, as as you can imagine, eventually she starts making friends. She starts to find things to like in Chicago. So she convinces these friends to start a band They called the Cocos because of being, you know, kind of reclaiming being called a coconut and um she's convincing them that they don't even need to know how to play music because like being punk is like you don't need to play music or like you don't need to know how to do it you just are punk and you just do it and her she and her dad would joke that um the first rule of punk is that there are no rules of punk and the second rule of punk is be yourself but malu is like really struggling with not knowing even like what it means to be herself with kind of uh, making sense of like her her multiple identities and being in Chicago it's just different she doesn't fit in quite the same way but she's figuring it out with her band and her zines and she just it's she's really funny as a narrator and it's it's a different take on a character than, than I've read before with you know I've read other books that are kind of trying to bring back like 90s stuff or like 80s stuff and this I feel like works more successfully than a lot of those And it's just a really sweet, fun book. They think almost anybody will find something relatable in it. And you might learn how to make a zine, or you might learn some stuff about the history of punk music or the history of um, like traditional Mexican songs because they end up incorporating those into their punk band. It's a lot of fun. And what I'm going to attempt to read for you is actually one of her zines. So there is an artistic component to it, but it's, I think this is one that doesn't rely as heavily on the art. So I think you'll get it. And if not, I'll see if I can scan it and put it on the website. All right. So this zine is called The Story of a Name. My name. Who names their kid Maria Luisa with an accent? Mom says it's unique. I think it's like something you find in an old antique store. Old. Dusty. Like a genie bottle. And then there's a drawing of a genie bottle that says, get me out of here. Except it doesn't grant wishes. Then she's drawn a self-portrait with cool t-shirt. Not old, only a little dusty. Definitely cannot grant wishes. Dad wanted a name that was punky. Mom wanted something traditional. They couldn't agree. Surprise. Then one night they watched a movie about a famous painter and agreed. And there is a portrait of Frida Kahlo. and says, Frida. Punky, traditional, Mexican, artsy, good choice. But a few days later, while reading a book about Frida Kahlo, mom came across Maria Luisa, aka Maria Luisa Block, aka Malu. There isn't much about her except that she was an artist too, but she is in a photo with Frida and her husband Diego Rivera. Malu is barely in the frame, like she wasn't the focus of the picture. Mom says Frida is so famous, there are probably plenty of Fridas in the world, and who wants to be one more Frida anyway? Mom introduces me as Maria Luisa so that I don't forget who I am. A strong Mexican name for a strong Mexican girl. But to me, Maria Luisa feels like... And then she has drawn a pie chart of characteristics she calls Mom's dream pie chart. Outside the frame. Mexican. Sweet. Clean. Senorita-like interested in stuff mom likes on punk but i feel like this she's drawn her own pie chart inside the frame like frida punky weirdo american zine maker not into the senorita business music heart it's like mom's maria M- luisa and my malu are two different people and then there's a uh, just normal question mark as the end of the zine. So it's, it's really fun. It's really sweet. Uh, it's The First World Punk by Celia Perez, and I recommend it. Obviously. Yay.
0: So for the worst book I read this year, uh, as I said earlier, I, I have trouble giving it the title of the worst. And it has this title purely because I did not finish it. And the reason that I did not finish it had very little to do with the book itself and more to do with the fact that I was trying to listen to it very soon after the inauguration during that several month period where I was having trouble reading any books, uh, which I wrote about a little bit on our website back when it was happening. But I liked it well enough. I thought that the, the story was good. The audiobook narrator was even good, but my brain just would not. It was just rolling off the words and... And being depressed and anxious instead of listening. And uh, the book is Wildwood by Colin Malloy, uh, who you may know from his turn, in addition to writing this very popular uh, middle grade series. He also has a band that he does on the side that you may have heard of called the Decemberists. <laughs> which is why this has been on my my um, desk for a while is because if you've ever listened to a Decemberist song, uh, a a lot of them are about child murder, which you don't really uh, think about until you're in a car with someone who uh, doesn't really listen to them. And you've been listening to a bunch of songs in a row and they're all about child murder. Uh, but also he's very good at telling stories in his songs. So I figured that this would be really good. And You know, it it was, but I just was not in a place where I could listen to it. But it is the only middle grade book that I did not finish that I started this year. So I feel like it kind of by default ends up in this category by no fault of Mr. Malloy's or mine, but really because of the world being terrible. So that's that.
1: (laughs) Makes sense. (laughs) All right. Well, my worst book of the year, it, it wasn't terrible. This is the category, I think, where my worst book is is pretty good, just because I don't read a lot of middle grade books unless they come recommended or I have some other special reason for wanting them. So in this case, it was a Star Wars colon Join the Resistance by Ben Acker and Ben Blacker who you might know from the Thrilling Adventure Hour podcast. And they're two really funny guys. I really like them. So when I heard they were writing a Star Wars book, I was like, oh, yeah, I'll check that out. And uh, it was fine. Um, it It's set in the timeline of The Force Awakens. So, you know, it's it's the Resistance, not the Rebellion. And it's just sort of about these young pilots. And the, the narrator character is just sort of... Um, you know sort of a, like a boring white boy in space where he's just like i just want to be a hero and everyone else in his squadron is like way more interesting than he is and so that was my main thing is like why are you writing about this kid when like all around him is like a kid who was raised with a robot as a brother and like a basically space paris hilton who's just sort of like joining the resistance on kind of a lark and like all of these characters are more interesting and it was still, like, moderately funny. I think maybe the Ben's are not, you know, maybe middle grade is not, like, what they should be writing for. I think they have kind of, like, an adult humor sensibility. And that's just what I think. Um, So I, I think, again, it's fine. I didn't love it. And I, and I would say it's the worst middle grade book I read this year, I guess. But it was still fine. I think if you, like, if you really like Star Wars, and especially if you are a middle grade reader... It's fine. You'll like it. Oh, it also um, it has illustrations by Annie Wu. It's not really a graphic novel, but it just has occasional illustrations. Those are really cute. I like Annie Wu's art, so that was
0: good. I like Annie Wu's art, too. Well, maybe just look at the pictures of this book. <laughs> 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 All right. So moving on to young adults. I will say that the fifth best young adult book that I read this year... well. First, I'm going to say that I read a lot of really good young adult books this year. I feel like I read, I feel like usually I read about 50-50 middle grade young adults. And this year, just by the whims of the library hold system, I read much more young adults than middle grade. And everything I read this year was really good. So uh, it was hard to kind of put these in order. And I actually took a bunch of things off my list specifically because they were on... Uh, Renata's list so I was like good now I don't have to talk about them (laughs) and she can talk about them and I can talk about some less well-known books or books that I just I I don't know I love there were a lot of good books it was hard to narrow it down that was a tool that I used so of the remaining books that I put on my list that Renata did not cover number five is The Dead House by Don Kurtigich uh, this was another one that I, when I started off, I was like, mm, maybe I'll, I'll end this. No, I'll, I'll keep listening. You know, it, it might. I, I am kind of enjoying it, and by the end, I ended up really loving it. Uh, I was very skeptical at first because I work in the mental health field, as a lot of you know, and obviously, as I was just speaking about in our last, in my last discussion of a book. You know, I I have pretty mild mental health problems myself, and I know a lot of other people who do. So whenever someone uses mental health as a plot device in a bad way, I get my hackles kind of are pre-raised until I see how they handle it. And I feel like it was handled very well in this book. So the conceit is that there's this girl, Carly Johnson, whose family... Uh, was killed and since then she has been living in an institution during the summer and allowed to go to a private school during uh, the school year and the reason that she's still in this institution is that she insists that she shares a body with her sister Caitlin, um, spelt the correct way, mind and that she comes out in the day and Caitlin comes out at night and all of her doctors are, consist- are convinced this is a multiple personality thing, but you very quickly get the idea that her family knew about this, and this, was- this is literally a thing. that They are two different people, and they share a body through some whim of nature, and that they are distinct personalities, that neither of them is made up by the other, and that it's just this thing that has afflicted her her whole life. Um, So which is why it was okay to me, the way that it was handled, because it was very clear that this was not an actual mental health disorder, but a supernatural thing going on. And Caitlin and Carly uh, converse by writing in books to each other. Uh, They keep journals that they pass back and forth from one to the other and uh you know carly's got all these friends at school and caitlin has you know kind of met them but they don't super like her very much and she doesn't like them because she feels like they've stolen carly from her and uh the whole book is written as a report put together based on this terrible fire fire that happened at the school where Uh, Several people were injured and several people were killed and Carly disappeared. So it's made up, it's kind of a mixed media sort of thing. It's made up of like video clips and journal entries and uh, court transcripts and things like that. And for one, um, I feel like the author really handled the sort of video clip device very well. That can be very hard to convey in text form, but the way that, Uh, she wrote the description of the video clips, made it very clear that it was something different than the actual text or even from a transcript. You know, they kept it very different than the flow of the rest of the narrative, but it also made it very clear what was going on, despite the fact that it, you know, was not a visual medium. But it was was really good. It was very creepy. I was creeped out listening to it, which I always appreciate because I'm hard to creep out. I definitely recommend it. And if you had heard of it, I hadn't heard of it before it came up as a recommended for me on Overdrive because I had taken out some other similar books uh, and you were hesitant because of this mental illness aspect of it. I would say, from my perspective, and obviously my experiences are only my own, that it's okay. Like, you, you, it's not going to go the place that you think it's going to go. But yeah, it was good. The end. Cool.
1: All right, before I really delve delve into my top five YA, I also read a lot more YA than anything else um, by design because I'm a teen librarian and that's my jam. So uh, I have a few spillover titles that I'm awarding bonus stars to outside the top five. Uh, because because no one can stop me, and I'm doing this. Um, so first of all, I just want to give a bonus star to like for just really being there when I needed it to the entire Gossip Girl season by Cecily von Stegassar. Whatever the Gossip Girl series written by the Gossip Girl. <laughs> as you might know, uh, at the end of last year through the beginning of this year, I had pneumonia and I was just like sick as hell in bed. And I couldn't really, like, watch TV even Because I was just sort of, like, in and out But I was so bored And so, um, oh, we read the first Gossip Girl book As a bonus episode that is available online Uh, We read that one with my mom Right around the time I was getting sick And I did enjoy it And it's just, like, it's just, like, you know Trashy, beach-read-type, fun, rich-people nonsense And that was exactly what I wanted When I was just, like in bed dying and so i just kept getting the ebooks from the library and i read all of them there's like 14 of them uh i read all of them including like the au where they're serial killers which was not (laughs) as funny as i thought it would be but it was it was it was really enjoyable overall this ride of reading the whole gossip girl series so i would recommend them to you uh, if you specifically just are homebound And not fully Mentally present and they'll just keep you Like really really enjoyably Occupied um, Or or read them whatever you want even if you're not Dying just do what you want We're all dying We're all dying The Gossip Girl story <laughs> And uh, also just a quick uh, Defensive bonus star To Turtles All the Way Down by John Green Which I did really like it is uh, also, uh, I guess not also. It is like it is about mental illness, not in the way that uh, Kate's book was, but just in our in a realistic fiction way. Um, it is, I guess you would say, an own voices mental illness book because the main character has obsessive compulsive disorder, as does John Green, and I I do like John Green. I thought this was a a, a beautifully written book, really compelling narrator. Um, But mostly I just want to talk about it because people keep asking us to read John Green books for the podcast, and I don't know how to to tell you that I like John Green, and I think he is sort of overhyped, and I think there is a problem of him always being held up as, like, the one true YA author. Obviously, you know, he's a white man, he's getting undue attention compared to women, and especially women of color and people of color who are writing YA books. Of course that's true, but that doesn't make his books bad and he's not, we're not going to read his books on this podcast because they're not bad in that way. And uh, the more you ask me to, the more mad I'm going to get about it.
0: <laughs> but... Yeah. And I would say that I, I've read a couple of his books. I liked them well enough. Like I don't love them, but also, you know, I agree. Like they're objectively not bad books and I get why people want us I, I get that knee-jerk reaction of, like, oh, but the media, like, puts so much spotlight on him and he doesn't deserve it, And but that doesn't mean the books are bad. And he also, like, not to be, like, defensive of him, because I'm sure he's... I don't know enough about him. I'm sure he's done shitty things that I'm not aware of, but he does use his platform to try and elevate uh, women and women of color and... You know, I just saw something on Twitter earlier this week where people were talking about um, who gave them the big, the the best push up, who wasn't related to them, who who was the most supportive of their work in the early days. And Angie Thomas was saying, like, you know, John Green was indispensable to the support of his of her book that he gave and other authors were saying the same thing. Like, I get it. I 100 percent get it. But objectively, the books aren't that bad and sorry (laughs) uh yeah
1: i'm i'll say objectively i think they're good but uh they didn't make my top five and uh i will now move on to my fifth favorite ya book of the year which is always and forever lara jean by jenny han this is the third book um about about lara jean the first one was Oh god. To all the to all the boys I've loved before and then PS I still love you. And this is the third one and I've really liked the whole trilogy, but I think this is the first time I've talked about it in the podcast maybe and I really like Lara Jean as a character because she's a character type that I feel like is very relatable to me but not not a character who I see a lot of in YA and for me what makes her relatable is that she's such like a square rule follower who's like oh my god there's gonna be drinking at this party but we're not 21 i'm not drinking and like oh i can't go out i have to do my homework and like she's she's kind of a square and i feel like so many YA books are like about teens who are like oh you know yeah of course we went out like drinking and of course like we're having sex and they totally get that that is the teen experience for a lot of teens and so I'm not coming at this from a point of view of like oh we need to protect teens from like these sexy books but for me this is sort of the kind of nerd that I was in high school where like I was following the rules almost all of the time and I really appreciate that the that the books just sort of like they lean into that and they aren't sort of i mean she does do some fun things and go out of her comfort zone a little bit but they aren't like well she needs to like go crazy and like break all the rules in order to like have a real teen experience and i and it is also about her being aware like um this is lara Jean's senior year and she is aware of all these this media stuff saying like oh when you go up to college like you have to break up with your high school boyfriend and like things are so different in college and you have to like, you know, you have to do this before you have high school or you haven't like made the most of your teen years. And it's sort of her confronting all of that stuff versus like what feels true to her and what she wants to do and what she's comfortable with. And I just, I so appreciate that about her. And she just has such a sweet and true voice. And I love all the side characters of her family. And there is also so again that to me is like what jumps out at me most at lara jean she is also um another uh mixed race character she is half white and half korean american and and it's um amplified i guess by the fact that their korean mother has died so a lot of this is about lara jean and her two sisters and their white dad sort of trying to figure out how to honor their Korean heritage and their mother. And that also is very, I think, deftly handled. I don't know. I just, I've loved all these books. And this is the end of the series. And I thought it was just a really touching way to, to say goodbye to Lara Jean and they're coming out with a movie, I think next year. And I'm also very excited about that. The movie of the first one to all the boys I've loved before. But anyway, uh, that's uh, always and forever Lara Jean. By Jenny Han, very recommended the whole series.
0: I also read that book this year and also really liked it and also liked the whole series. And I agree with everything Renata said. Yeah. But the next book on my list is There's Someone Inside Your House by Stephanie Perkins. I think I like live tweet at the beginning of this book because I was so excited and so into it. Uh, This is, I'd only read one other book by Stephanie Perkins Uh, which was Anna and the French Kiss, which I believe is, is a series. There's a, I've read all of them. It's a trilogy
1: where they're sort of loosely connected, but it's not like each of them is about a different girl and they all kind of, one of them goes to school with the boyfriend of the other one, or like, it's not exactly a series, but yes.
0: Yeah. But it was very different than this, which is a thriller. This is a teen slasher movie in book form and it was amazing. I love teen slasher movies, which is something you may have noticed about me over the past three or four years we've done this podcast, and this was so perfectly set up, beat for beat, like that type of movie. It was amazing. It even opens when it opens... You know, you're, you're getting a character who's, like, come home from school, and we're just meeting her, and she's in her house, and, like, weird things are happening, but she doesn't realize it while she's on the phone with her friend, and then, like, she's murdered at the end of the chapter, so it's that, like, fake-out beginning where you meet a character, and you're like, oh, this is the protagonist, but no, they're the first victim, which movies, I think... Most famously, um, Psycho and Scream have used that, where, you know, for for Scream, uh, since I was a little more contemporary to probably people listening to this podcast, you know, Drew Barrymore was in all of this promotional material and was in the, the, the posters and everything, and she gets killed in the first five minutes. And that was exactly what this was. It was amazing. But the actual protagonist ends up being this girl, Makani Young, who has just moved within like the last year. Uh, from Hawaii to live with her grandmother in this town in Nebraska. And she is coming. She's running from her past. Essentially. She was in Hawaii and something terrible happened with her friends there. Something so terrible that she had to change her name and won't refer to anything that happened in her past back on the Island and it sort of, like, is hanging over her this whole time. And we, we when we eventually find out what it is, it's not that bad, which you can kind of tell, like, as it's being built up, you know that it's not going to be as bad as she's saying it is, which is just, like, a, a product of her guilt. But all of these people, that has less to do with the plot then, um, all of these people in their high school are being murdered and they're trying to find out a connection between them. And the first half of the book is them trying to figure out who the killer is uh, until the killer strikes. And then the second half of the book is them trying to stop him before he goes too far. I mean, he's already gone too far. He's murdered several people. <laughs> because
1: I feel I'm like, not I really feel like good at... one murder is pretty far. Yeah.
0: yeah, I'm not real good at summarizing these books today. Sorry, guys. <laughs> I know that's sort of like literally our job on this podcast. Um, and that's normally where, where I excel. But yeah, this was, it was very well done. If you like that kind of book, I definitely recommend it. It was great. Um, and it, I mean, most of the books, I actually haven't mentioned this as we've been going through, but most of the books that I read this year had a very diverse cast. This one, I was particularly pleased to see that there was a trans character included, just as like a secondary character. And he's just kind of, There and no one comments on it. And I thought that's cool because I feel like a lot of times when you're first trying to integrate diverse characters, I I feel like a lot of times people stumble over calling too much attention to a secondary character versus like not giving them any personality aside from whatever it is that makes them diverse versus like making them super stereotypical and it really was not done here it was it was done very well and i was pleased to see that but yeah it was really good and you should read it and the um i I should talk about this at some point but it was narrated by one of my favorite audiobook narrators who narrated like five books that i listened to this year uh and that's bonnie turpin and she's so good so good she's so good yeah but yeah you should read it or listen to it because bonnie turpin is so good she's so good All right.
1: Well, my fourth favorite young adult book of the year was Piecing Me Together by Renee Watson. Uh, This is contemporary realistic fiction about a black teen named Jade, who is on a scholarship to a mostly white private high school. Uh, Jade's an artist and she likes to make collages, some of which are included in the book. And um, it's a perfect kind of uh, device metaphor for... The bigger themes of this book, which is just sort of about intersectionality and reconciling your identity is because so Jade is poor and black and she's at this white school, mostly white school where she doesn't really fit in. Um, her closest friend is another girl who's there in scholarship, who's also fairly poor, but she's white. So she doesn't necessarily understand all of what Jade's going through. And sometimes she's like, well, I don't get why you're making this all about race. Uh, But then Jade also gets um, put in this woman-to-woman program where she's assigned a successful, like, woman mentor to kind of, like, guide her through college applications and, like, whatever. Um, Kind of like a big brother, big sister type thing. Um, But so she gets this sort of young adult, like, in her 20s, black woman who's her mentor. um, That's Maxine. But Maxine, like, does not have her shit together, which you know to me reading i'm like yeah of course she's like in her 20s she's like uh um but jade feels really sort of offended by being put with this mentor who's like not taking it seriously doesn't seem to like have her shit together and you see that maxine is a black woman who's come from like a wealthy black family so she doesn't really understand a lot of jade's struggles either and a lot of the core of this is that jade is really just trying to figure out how she can um she wants to travel she wants to get put on this program it's like a um kind of like habitat for humanity or something where like you travel to another country and you help out there and she is really struggling with wanting the people to acknowledge that not she's not only the recipient of scholarships but she's someone who can also help others and she wants to help others if they'll give her kind of a chance to do that and i think that's such a valuable message to have but also um this you probably have noticed a a theme running through like what i personally look for in a book is i love a book with a narrator who's got a really strong voice a really compelling voice that to me is what will make me love a book more usually than like a complicated plot or like a, a lot of child murders or whatever um, so Jade
0: <laughs> I'm feeling very called out
1: <laughs> no I'm just saying I know some people like child murders I don't know <laughs> Uh, so I'll, I'll say this a lot cause it's just really, really what I'm looking for in a book is, is Jade has a really compelling voice and I just loved, I just loved reading about her reflections on her life. And so, you know, this is a great contemporary realistic book. I would honestly say if you are a, a actual fan of John Green's books, if you like Angie Thomas, I'm going to talk about later. If you like Jenny Han, if you like just contemporary realistic school stories where it's not, necessarily big, dramatic things happening, but just sort of teens experiencing their everyday lives. This is a great addition to that category of books. Um, It's Piecing Me Together by Renee Watson.
0: Yay. I have not read that one, but it's... Oh, you know what? I haven't read it, but it's on... I have a hold on for it. That's why it sounds familiar. All right. Well, I hope you love it. Yeah. Maybe one day I'll get it. (laughs) I think I'm like one of 12. Oh, wow. So... We'll see. Maybe I'm one. Glad, day I'm one glad day.
1: other people are trying to read this book
0: cuz they should. Yeah. Um I think I think maybe it doesn't, you know, that's not important. What books have audio and what books don't have audio. I hate when books don't have audio because it's the main way that I read books now and there are so many really interesting books that I want to read that are difficult for me to get through if they're not on audio. Anyway, my third book, third book. Mhm. My third young adult book this year was The Upside of Unrequited by Becky Albertalli. This, I'm sure you've heard of this book because she's a very popular writer. Uh, obviously, Simon vs. the Homo Agenda was my number one book two years ago, maybe. Time flies. Time's a flat circle. Yeah, time's a flat circle. Uh, And this is a book that takes place in the same universe, though it's not necessarily a direct sequel. And it just, so many things about it spoke so strongly to me. The main character is Molly Peskin-Suso, who is the cousin to Abby Suso from Simon. And uh, she and her sister, her twin sister, live with their moms and their little brother And she and her twin are, like, very opposite. Um, Her twin is, like, very skinny, Cassie, and, you know, very punk, and very kind of devil-may-care. Whereas Molly's fat, and she is, like, a Pinterest person. She loves crafting. She's very—she's much more reserved. Uh, She has, like, much nerdier hobbies. But the, the twins are still very close. And, uh, Kathy who's gay has had like a gazillion hookups over the course of her teenage life. And Molly has just had these, uh, 27 unrequited crushes. And part of the reason why she's afraid to go after her crushes is, you know, this like internalized, well, I'm fat and I'm not that pretty. So probably I'm just going to get my heart broken if I go after what I want. And over the course of the book, uh, Cassie has met a, a girl who she's, like, super into for the first time and actually wants to, like, date. And Molly is convinced that, like, this is the time when she has to uh, woman up, as her sister would mm-hmm. say, and and go after something that she wants. The problem being that she can't tell what she wants at this point, there is a boy who she works with, uh, who's like a super fantasy nerd, Ren Fair guy who loves Game of Thrones, uh, who makes her laugh a lot. And then there is her girlfriend's best friend, Will, or her sister's girlfriend's best friend, Will. And if she gets with Will, then she and Cassie will like be dating best friends so that they'll still get to like be together and their life together won't necessarily have to splinter off and so it's just like everything that molly felt as like both a fat girl and a person who has trouble sometimes going after things that i want because of feelings of rejection fear of rejection and that was i'm much better about it now but like as a 17 year old that like ruled my life You know, I was terrified of what other people thought all the time. So I deeply, deeply relate it to those parts of it. And it was also, uh, it takes place in, gosh, what was that, 2015 now? The summer of 2015, right after the Supreme Court uh, legalized gay marriage. Mm. Uh, A big subplot is her moms are finally getting married. And, like, the description of all of them finding out about that, like, I just bawled. It, the whole thing was just really good. and it was I loved all the characters. Molly's so great. She has such a great voice. It was wonderful. it was it was almost as wonderful as Simon. It was probably objectively as wonderful as Simon, but that coming out plot line, in particular in Simon versus the Homo sapien agenda, really struck a chord with me. So, yeah, definitely, definitely read this. The audiobook is great. Listen to that.
1: I also, I read it, I didn't listen to the audio. I did love that book. It's definitely uh, probably my top ten faves this year. It's super great. All right, but that brings me to my third favorite young adult book this year, which was Wonder Woman, colon, Warbringer by Leigh Bardugo, who um, wrote uh, Six of Crows, the Grisha Trilogy, all these books that I know um, we talked about last year on our best ofs. So she's already um an author that i liked and of course like so many others i really loved the wonder woman movie this year and i know i've mentioned on the podcast before because we read other movie novelizations this is not a movie novelization but it's like a tie-in i guess um i really overall am in favor of this reinvigorated trend of like superhero prose novels and like um kind of, I don't know, like, classy movie tie-ins versus the sort of, like, cheap paperback, whatever, of our youth. Because I, you know, I, of course, I like comics. I read a lot of comics. But for me, honestly, I like the stories of superheroes. And I I think I genuinely would prefer it if we just had a bunch of superhero prose novels because I don't always care about the art of Comics. a lot of times I kind of am just sort of skimming through to get to, like, the stories and the characters because I care about that more, which uh, I know is is more on... That's a minority opinion. But it's mine. And anyway, this is the first of a DC Icon series that DC's putting out, and I'm so excited. They're pulling in, like, all these heavy hitters to write um, these books. Like, I know Marie Lou is writing the Batman one, which is... A great way to get me to care about Batman because um, generally I don't, but that's coming out later in 2018. This year we got Wonder Woman Warbringer, it was so good. It wasn't really connected to the movie, it's more of like a reboot or like an alternate origin story for Wonder Woman for Diana set in the modern day. Um, it has this really moving plotline about her connection to the Amazons. Like, I cried at this book, it was like weirdly beautiful talking about the power of the Amazons and it's, I guess kind of a spoiler. So I won't say what it is exactly, but the way that they're all connected as the sisterhood is so beautiful. And then the new friends that she makes, you know, in the earth world, I I loved all of them. And it does bring in this really diverse crew of women for her to be friend out in the real world. And there's, you know, queer women and women of color, or, you know, teens of color, I guess. And it has this wild Greek mythology inspired plot line, but also kind of high technology thriller, but also it's Wonder Woman. It's like everything, and I loved it all. So if you like Wonder Woman at all, or if you even if you didn't see the movie but you like Lee Bardugo in general, I just really recommend it. It's a lot better than a lot of other it's kind of superhero or like movie tie-in books have historically been. It's so
0: good. I also recommend this. I sobbed like 900 times, which is not surprising. It's really so beautiful, though. It's, it was. It was it's great. such a beautiful story. <laughs> My number two book that I read this year was Daughters Unto Devils by Amy Lukovics. I loved this book. I loved it. It is, I wish I could read a hundred other books like this. It was so good. It was this and my number one book. The two of them together are like a summary of everything that I like to read. (laughs) And I just wish there were a million more books like both of them. But unfortunately, uh, each of them is the only one that I've really been able to find uh, that hits all the buttons that I want it to hit. So... Daughters into Devils is a horror novel. It is incredibly creepy, incredibly well done. It is, is, it's it's so good. So it's the story of a a girl named Amanda who has her family, they live in like a little house on the prairie times and her family is looking to move. They're not making a ton of money, but they hear tell of uh, this prairie a little bit ways away from the mountain where they live, where there's all of these abandoned homesteads. And you can basically like just go and have like a giant house that has room for everyone. And right now her family is still living in this like one room, tiny cabin and it's her and her slightly younger sister. And then the two uh, little kids, And then a new baby and her parents. And it's just too, too many people in too small of a space. Um, And they've just lived through this really awful winter where they were, like, snowed into the cabin the entire winter. And Amanda, like, went literally crazy and, like, lost it and was screaming about the devil and, like, needed to be restrained. And her mother uh, got very sick and she was pregnant. So when she gave birth, the baby was deaf and they're having trouble like trying to figure out how to properly care for her and give her what she needs and she just cries all the time and they're not really good at calming her down except for their mother so like the idea that they can move to a new place where there's space is really great and so they like set out oh and also uh, since she already figures after like this terrible winter that she doesn't believe in god anymore uh, she had started sleeping with the guy who like goes on the mail deliveries the the teenager who does that and she's pregnant and no one knows mm-hmm. so she they go out to this prairie and they find a cabin that looks like huge and empty and you know will be great for their family and they open it up and it is covered in blood on the inside just like someone slaughtered a cow inside of it it is just drenched and of course you would think they would take that as a bad omen but no like their dad is like no like we're we're gonna stay here and we're gonna make this work uh so they clean it out and like creepy things start happening and uh amanda starts like hearing things and seeing things and she is sure at first that it's because you know she has given herself to the devil, and she's a sinner, and she doesn't believe in God, and she's going to hell, and she believes all of these things simultaneously, even though several of them contradict each other. But but as things continue, they it, it just it gets so creepy and so weird, and it's all tangled up. And there was no romance in it really, which I really uh, a big theme of this year is that I'm really sick of reading about heterosexual romance, and just. it was so good (laughs) if you like scary creepy things it was so good just uh read it it's great it's um the audiobook is on hoopla so just you know you don't even have to wait you can just go and download it and listen to it because it's that good
1: well speaking of scary creepy things let's talk about white supremacy uh because my second favorite young adult book of the year was the hate you give by angie thomas Uh, This is going to be no surprise. It's making a lot of top lists. It's, uh, I mean, it's, it deserves all the praise that it's getting, including right there on the cover blurb, uh, John Green called it stunning. So he's right. So this is a, um, You've probably heard about it. I probably don't need to talk about it, but I'm going to because we've got this whole podcast and that's (laughs) like what we do. So it's a, a, you know, contemporary story based on uh, the Black Lives or inspired by the Black Lives Matter movement. And when I first started hearing about it, everyone was like, oh, you know, this is like such an important book and like Black Lives Matter. I was like, yeah, Black Lives do matter. Um, I want to read that, but. From the sort of initial way that that I had heard about it, I sort of was like, "Oh, this is going to be like a very like serious, important book. Um, it's not going to be like a fun read, but, um, but it's both really. Like, I think it's really deftly done, or it is this like very powerful, very moving story of of Star Carter, who is a poor or no, she's living in a poor black area. Her family is doing okay." Um, and she goes to a private school, um, but she still has friends who live who live near her and go to the public school. And her best friend, um, Khalil... Khalil? Khalil. Khalil. Oh, did you listen to the audio? I listened to the audio book. Ah, <laughs> nice. So uh, uh, he is killed by a police off by a white police officer in a very, you know, kind of like Trayvon Martin-esque, like, he not that any teen ever deserves to be killed by the police, but he, like, literally wasn't doing anything. And so she was with him, and she knows that it was that it was extremely, like, wrong what happened, but she doesn't necessarily want to have this whole, like, media spotlight of speaking out about what she saw because she knows how hard that will be for her, and so she is sort of debating, and also she knows... You know, it's not like it's going to bring him back. And so it's about, like, her grief and her struggle and her decisions about what to do. And then meanwhile, um, you know, as in Ferguson, like, people are upset. There are, like, protests that sort of turn into riots. So this about that. Um, but it's just, it's a really, like, hmm it's her her voice is so funny it's also about her relationship with like her boyfriend and other students at her school and the extent to which they are and are not able to understand her opinions and in some cases she is able to kind of explain and be like hey you know i guess to you it seems like the police are always right because you've always like had that experience but Here's like actually what's happening, and in some cases people just aren't like willing to hear, and so, you know that is very very timely. But it, it's just it's just a really spectacular book, and if you haven't already read it, let me just add my voice to the pile of voices telling you, uh, read The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas. Hmm.
0: Yeah, this is another one that like was vying for my top place right. between this and Daughters into Devils and my top book, all three of them were just so good that I I was seriously having trouble deciding. And then when Renata was like, had it on her list, I was like, great. Then I don't have to put it on mine and we have room for another book. But it, this is, it was a phenomenal book. And like Renata, like I, I don't want to say I was skeptical because like I too was like, yeah, like this, this will be an important book. But sometimes I like just like, am exhausted and it's hard to read important books, which I know is a, a a side effect of my privilege of being a middle-class white lady where I can be like, I just want to read about happy things right now and not have to, you know, deal with the repercussions of it in my daily life. Um, But this was, I'm glad that I read it or listened to it when I did. Cause it, it's just, it's fun. In addition to being like very, intense and important at times like also it's just like she and her boyfriend have fights and like you know she and her brothers like her brothers annoy her and do stupid shit and you know it's very realistic and it feels very real and it is very much like a a month or two two months three months in the life of this kid where this is something that's important that's happening around her, but it's not the only thing, you know, there's prom still and, you know, there's spring break and there's midterms and stuff like that. And I specifically want to give this book an award for having the funniest moment in any book that I have read this year. I literally almost had to pull my car over to the side of the road, listening to this, because I was laughing so hard. There is a scene where The parents, her parents have, are talking about moving into this new neighborhood, and they are, spoiler alert, they are praying about, you know, thanks for giving us the ability to do this, thanks for whatever, and the dad normally leads the prayers, and mom mom interjects, like, and, you know, thanks to grandma for, like, giving us the money to help us out, and, you know, please guide us in finishing the basement so that she can come and stay with us sometimes. And dad's like, no, don't, don't do that, Jesus. And they go back and forth arguing. <laughs> and I just, I am not doing it justice. No, it yeah, the, the so family funny. dynamics
1: are so good. It's such a, it's such a good family. <laughs>
0: the family is great. And Bonnie Turpin did the audiobook for this too. And it was like, literally, I was afraid I was going to crash the car and kill myself. <laughs> how hard I was laughing at this stupid scene. It was really good.
1: Okay, I'm glad you didn't die. Me too.
0: Oh no, I have to talk about yeah. It's yeah, me again. since you didn't die, now
1: you have to keep talking about books, though. That's the <laughs> trade-off. <laughs>
0: All right, uh, my number one young adult book that I read this year again. Not going to be a surprise to anyone who reads our newsletter or reads my Twitter feed or knows what kind of books I like or um, listen
1: it, to our Aaron Burr podcast.
0: Yes, or any of the other podcasts where we've recommended this book. Uh, But it's The Gentleman's Guide to Vice and Virtue by Mackenzie Lee, uh, which I'm sure you've heard 900 times what this book is about because we've recommended it several times so far. Um, This was the book that got me out of my reading slump earlier this year because it was exactly what I like to read for comfort fan fiction in original fiction form. You know, it was, it's about this, this rakish, young lord who is he's bisexual and he's been sleeping around and drinking a lot and you know rabble rousing in general and his father has told him that you know he has this one grand tour of europe to like get it all out of his system and after that he's going to come back and he's going to learn to take over the estate and be a proper gentleman and this is like a fate worse than death to this kid he can't imagine doing this so he's on this like last hurrah trip with his sister felicity who is going to finishing school and his best friend percy who is at this point he believes is going to law school at the end of their tour And almost immediately, things go completely off the rails. Monty does something stupid and impulsive, which gets them embroiled in this whole other conspiracy. And they end up going on this adventure. And there's pirates. And there's uh, people coming after them. And alchemy. And all sorts of weird shit. And throughout it all, Monty is holding... Carrying this torch for his best friend Percy, who he thinks doesn't love him back. And it's just delightful. It's fun. It's funny. It has a happy ending. (laughs) Which we just need more happy endings right now. Yeah.
1: I also, um, this is another situation where I was like, oh, well, Kay has it on her list, so I'll
0: leave it off my list. But I also read and loved this book this year. Yeah, it was it was really wonderful. I also listened to the audio of this one and the audio all of the audiobook narrators that have done I've listened to basically every single one of the books I've talked so talked about so far on audio and all of the narrators have been spectacular. But yeah, it was it is a a great ride if you have for some reason not picked it up so far for whatever reason, get off your butt and do that. It's really good and You know, it's going to hit you right in that place that, like, the best id fiction does. This is so close to something that someone would have ripped out of my id. So, read that book, and I'm going to read a little bit from that book now. This is a scene where Monty, our protagonist, uh, is talking to his sister Felicity, and uh, she is confronting him. ...about his bisexuality, despite the fact there's not really a word for that at this point in time. And it's just, it it was very, it's a very sweet scene. So here we go. There are footsteps in the hallway, then a moment later, a shadow blots the rug. I thought I heard you wandering about. I sit up as Felicity makes a very unladylike flop onto the sofa where my legs just were. I offer her the cognac, and she shocks me by accepting it, then taking a delicate sip. Her nose wrinkles. That's vile. It's not the best I've had, no. I don't think it's the particular vintage. It's an acquired taste. Why acquire a taste for something so horrid? Something flaps by the window, a black shape torn from the black sky, and Felicity and I both jump. Then we smile sheepishly at each other. This house is strange, I say. Yes, but we're here, aren't we? They've been kind to let us stay. We haven't any other options. She takes another tight-lipped sick of the cognac, pulls a spectacular face, then passes it back to me. Helena's very pretty. Yes? So? So? So I thought you'd be slavering over that. Should I be? Honestly, Monty, I've never quite understood who's really got a hold on you. Do you want to know if I'm a bugger? She winces at the crass word, but then says... It seems a fair question, considering I've seen your hands all over Richard Peel and Theodosia Fitzroy. Oh, dear Theodosia, my girl. I collapse backward onto the sofa cushions. I remain inconsolable over losing her. I do not want to talk about this. Especially with my little sister. I came down here for the sole purpose of getting drunk enough to sleep and avoiding venturing anywhere near the subject. But Felicity goes on staring at me like she's waiting for an answer. I take an uncivilized swipe at my mouth with my sleeve, which would have earned me a cuff from father had had we been at home. Why does it matter who I run around with? Well, one is illegal and a sin, and the other is also a sin if you aren't married to her. Are you going to give me the fornication without intention of procreation is the devil and a crime lecture? I believe I could recite it from memory by now. Monty, perhaps I am trying to procreate with all these lads, and I'm just very misinformed about the whole process. If only Eaton hadn't thrown me out. (laughs) You're avoiding the question. What was the question? Are you... Oh, yes, I am a sodomite. Well, I've been with lads, so yes. She purses her lips, and I wish I hadn't been so forthright. If you'd stop, father might not be so rough on you, you know. "'Oh, thank you for that earth-shattering wisdom. "'Can't believe I didn't think of that myself. "'I'm simply suggesting, don't bother. "'He might ease up.' "'Well, I haven't much choice.' "'Really?' "'She crosses her arms. "'You haven't a choice in who you bed.' "'No, I mean, I haven't much choice in who it is I want to bed.' "'Of course you do. "'Sodomy's a vice, same as drinking or gambling.' "'Not really. "'I mean, yes, I enjoy it, and I have certainly abstained from abstinence.' But I'm also rather attracted to all the men I kiss, and the ladies as well. She laughs like I've made a joke. I don't. Sodomy has nothing to do with attraction. It's an act, a sin. Not for me. But humans are made to be attracted to the opposite sex, not the same one. That's how nature operates. Does that make me unnatural? When she doesn't reply, I say, have you ever fancied anyone? No, but I believe I understand the basic principles of it. I don't really think you can until it's happened to you. Have you? Have I what? Ever fancied someone? Oh, well, yes. Girls? Yes. Lads? Also yes. Percy? I had felt her winding up to that, but it still catches me on the chin. I don't say anything, which is answer enough, and she gives me a sideways glance. Don't look so surprised. Neither of you is very subtle. Neither of us? Well, yes, it does take two. Isn't Percy? No. I interrupt. Percy is not... No. You mean you've never... No. I take another long drink. The bottle collar rattles against the neck. Oh. I suppose I assumed, as you lean towards lads, and the two of you are always so familiar with each other. We are not. You are. Fine. But I'm like that with a lot of people. Not like you are with Percy. And he's certainly not. Percy's so stoic and polite with everyone but you. And I've never known him to be, you know, involved with anyone. "'lad or lady?' "'He hasn't,' it occurs to me suddenly. "'Or, if he has, I've never been privy to the information. "'He's never mentioned being spoken of anyone fondly, "'and for all our junkets, "'I'm the only person I've ever known Percy to kiss. "'Even if it isn't, you know, romantic,' Felicity goes on, "'it's hard not to see. "'You're the kind of pair that makes everyone around them "'feel as though they're missing on a private joke.' "'We sit still for a minute, neither speaking. "'The fire pops and flails, spitting out sap.' Then she says, it's a relief, actually. I wasn't certain you had it in you to truly care for anyone. I slouch down a little farther and nearly slide right off the sofa. It's very slick upholstery. It would have been good if it were someone who wasn't my best mate, or someone I could actually be with, or, you know, a woman. I thought you liked women, too. I do, sometimes, but that doesn't mean I don't like Percy more than anyone else. Felicity presses her fingers to her temples. I'm sorry, Monty. I'm really trying to understand this, and I... can't. It's fine. I don't understand it most of the time. What does Percy think? Not a clue. Sometimes I think he knows I'm smitten and ignores it. Sometimes I think he's just thick. Either way, he doesn't seem to feel the same. It must be difficult, she says. I want to throw my arms around her for acting as though this conversation is ordinary, but as hard as she's trying, any more honesty would likely burst her head open. Because Percy goes so deep inside me like veins of gold grown into granite. I think again about our kiss in Paris, his hand on my knee in the carriage when the highwaymen highway ambushed us, lying side by side on the roof of the livery stable, and it makes me ache to line them up like that, each of those moments that fall just short of where I wish they would end. And I'm going to stop there because I actually marked for like five more pages. And I just, that's really long. I've been reading for a really long time. And I don't mm-hmm. want to read you this whole book because somebody was already paid to do that. And he did a much better job than I'm doing.
1: All right. Well, um, Gentleman's Guide to Vice and Virtue has a joint stamp of approval from Worst Best Sellers. Yes. Um, but now I'm going to tell you about my favorite young adult book of the year, which was Akata Warrior by Nnedi akorafor um, this is the sequel to Akata Witch, which I looked up earlier today and I was shocked that Akata Witch came out in 2011 because I feel like I've been waiting for 500 years for the sequel to come out. And I guess it's only been like six years and probably like five years because I didn't read it like when it came out. But I just I loved Akata Witch so much. and I've been waiting so long for a sequel to come out and it did and it was fantastic and um if you haven't read i or heard about akata witch um it's like kind of the reductive tagline so it's like Nigerian Harry Potter um which it's it's more than that but that is a pretty decent intro um it is about um Nigerian leopard people in training which is um the term they're using for like witch or wizard or magic user um and the first book is about a particular a girl named Sunny who moves from the U.S. to Nigeria where her parents are from originally discovers she's a leopard person uh gets in it gets in all this um magic stuff and uh, saves the world as young wizards who are the protagonists of books so often do. And so Akata Warrior picks up pretty much where that left off. It's just like, I just love the the sense of humor and the like magical world building of this so much. And And I'm just going to read to you actually the very beginning, which is kind of like a Previously on Akata Witch, just um, because I know this is a sequel and maybe not everyone has read the first one, so um, it's it's not really spoilers, but it is just kind of like here's an introduction to like the world, but also just to the tone of this book, which is which is a thing that I really like about it. Okay, let's begin. Let the reader beware that there is juju in this book. Juju is what we West Africans like to loosely call magic. Manipulatable mysticism, or alluring allures. It is wild, alive, and enigmatic, and it is interested in you. Juju always defies definition. It certainly includes all uncomprehended, tricksy forces wrung from the deepest reservoirs of nature and spirit. There is control, but never absolute control. Do not take Juju lightly, unless you are looking for unexpected death. Juju cartwheels between these pages like dust in a sandstorm. We don't care if you are afraid. We don't care if you think this book will bring you good luck. We don't care if you are an outsider. We just care that you read this warning and are thus warned. This way, you have no one to blame but yourself if you enjoy this story. Now, this girl, Sunny Noazwe, lives in southeastern Nigeria, which is considered Igboland in a village not far from the thriving city of Abba. Sunny is about 13 and a half now, of the Igbo ethnic group, and Nigerian american which means Nigerian-American, American-born to Nigerian parents, as if you couldn't consult the internet for that information. That, sassy aside, is in the text. It's not for me. Her two older brothers, Chuku and Ogana, were born in Nigeria. Sunny, on the other hand, was born in New York, in New York City. She and her family lived there until she was nine, when they moved back to Nigeria. This means she speaks Igbo with an American accent and says soccer instead of football. It also means she has to sometimes deal with classmates calling her Akata when trying to get on her nerves. Akata is a word some of us Nigerians use to refer to, and more often, degrade black Americans or foreign-born blacks. Some say the word means bush animal, others say it means cotton picker, others say wild animal or fox. No one can agree. Whatever the meaning, it's not a kind word. Ask anyone who has ever been called an Akata by Nigerians for the reasons Nigerians call people Akata, and you won't find one person who enjoys the experience. Oh, and Sunny also happens to have albinism, an inherited genetic condition that reduces the amount of melanin pigment formed in the skin, hair, and or eyes, but that is neither here nor there. Let the reader be aware that a year and a half ago, Sunny Noiswe finally became conscious of her truest self and was officially brought into the local leopard society. For clarity, let us quote the staple tome Fast Facts for Free Agents by Isong Abang Ethiong Isong. A leopard person goes by many names around the world. The term leopard person is a West African coinage derived from the Efik term ekpi, leopard. All people of mystical true ability are leopard people. So that's that's just a little intro to the world of Akata Witch and Akata Warrior. Hella good fantasy if you like that sort of thing, which I do.
0: <laughs> All right. Um. Before we get to the worst, my worst book of the year, I do want to give a shout out similar to I guess we're not as bonus stars. You can to... give it a bonus star. I didn't copyright the term. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it's not exactly for the same reason. To The Inexplicable Logic of My Life by Benjamin Sines, who you may remember me crying over constantly Mm -hmm. all the time. His first book, well, the first book of his that I read, Aristotle and Dante Discover the Secrets of the Universe. uh, Because I can't even talk about that book without sobbing like an infant because it's so good and so wonderful. And if for some reason you've been listening to this podcast and haven't read it yet, you should go read it. That's a free recommendation for you right here. (laughs) I've only just started listening to his newest book, The Inexplicable Logic of My Life, like this week. I'm only a couple hours into it, so I felt weird putting it on this list, even though I kind of want it to, just because I really do love it so far. Uh, so this is just a shout out that this is great and you should listen to this, um, but I'm not done with it, so I can't put my rubber stamp on the whole thing. Uh, but I feel like a lot of You can put it on time- your list next year. Yeah, well, that's the problem is I feel like a lot of times books that I read between finishing up recording this episode and the end of the year get lost when I'm putting together my end of year list for the next year. And so in case that happens with this, just now I'm saying that you should go listen to it or read it. I I support you. Okay. But on to uh, the worst book that I read this year for young adults. Uh, this is another one where this book was fine, but there has to be a bottom when you put all of them in order of how much you like them. Uh, and it's the blood between us by Zach Brewer, which was, it was perfectly, it was perfectly fine story. You know, again, it was, you know, it was good. It was fine. It was um about two kids whose parents have died and they died, I guess, about a year ago at this point in the story. And uh, right after they, they die, um, they're a brother and sister, and one of them is adopted, and one of them is a biological child of their parents, and they do not get along. And uh, the brother feels as though the sister isn't processing her grief towards their parents in a way that he thinks uh, is right. And she feels the same about him. Uh, So he makes the decision to quit going to the school by their house where I believe their parents were teachers and to go to school across the country instead uh, to get away from her and get away from all of his ties to that community. And uh, his godfather calls him back at the beginning of the next school year because he has cancer and he doesn't know how much longer he's going to live. And he wants to spend some time with the kids before uh, he dies. And it's about unraveling the life that their parents left behind, unraveling their inheritance, dealing with things that are going on in school, their rivalry between the two of them, their feelings as siblings, their feelings about their guardian's cancer, and their home life with him and his husband, and their own you know traveling through their own uh romantic dealings and it it was it was good you know there were parts of it that I guessed the twists of right away there were parts of it that were a surprise to me uh the characters were all very interesting but you know it just was not as good as some of the other books I read this year so all right well the worst
1: YA book I read this year was garbage and I'm mad about it and when, um, you know, so, so the X-Files was a show that I deeply loved as a teenager, and I was sort of excited when it came back for that brief run um, on Fox that I, I think most people will agree was not very good and was not that exciting. In, and yet... They're what? doing it again. And yet they're doing it again. And yet, um, around that time they announced they were doing some like YA prequel novels about teenage Mulder and Scully. And I was simultaneously like, who like teens don't want this, but I want this. <laughs> like, I don't know, I like I guess they're just aiming for like nostalgic adults who read YA. I don't know. But I was like, yeah, that sounds good. And they had um, sort of um, established YA authors writing them. And I was like, yeah, I'll check that out. Um, Cami Garcia, who co-wrote the Beautiful Creature series, wrote the Mulder one. The Mulder one's okay, but not great. But Devil's Advocate is the name of the Scully one. And it's written by Jonathan Mayberry, who has written a bunch of like um, Rotten Ruin, a bunch of zombie YA books, which I haven't read because... As you know, I don't care for zombies, but I do care for the X-Files. This book sucks and I'm mad about it and I'm like offended on behalf of Dana Scully that this would even be associated with her and i just was reading it and i was like you don't get it you don't get the excels you don't get scully and i was just like a petulant teenager reading it because it's um the premise is that dana scully as a teenager like was having these sort of dream visions that kind of come true and her sister and and you know we did see this in the show that her sister's a hippie and of course if you know X-Files like Dana Scully's a skeptic she's a doctor she does science and her sister's a hippie and Mulder's like a you know alien flake and she's just gotta like hold it all together and this is like teen Scully who is still sort of figuring things out for herself and her sister is a hippie and she's taking these sort of like Meditation and, like, sort of borderline cult-sounding classes at, like, the local hippie crystal-type store. And so Scully is going along and hanging out at the store because, like, she wants to go with her sister and she's just sort of not sure what's happening. And then um, it turns out there's bad things afoot with the with the people who own the crystal store and it's this whole bullshit thing. And then it basically is like, Oh, well, so Scully's a skeptic because one time she tried to believe in this crystal store store guy was like a con man. And like, that's why Scully's like this. It's like, fucking no, she's not like, no, I reject all of this. Good day to you. Devil's advocate. That's about all I have to say about it. Is I'm mad about. Okay. It. Like I mean and, and it's just sort of like clunkily written and there's sort of like a a mystery in it but like it's just very clunky. But uh, I above all I just felt like it was really like character assassination on Dana Scully who's like such a good character.
0: Yeah, I was excited when i heard that those were coming out and then did not read them because you told me not to yeah i stand by that
1: the Mulder one is okay i don't like i'm not like oh go out and read it but like if you're curious you you could read the Mulder one but the scully one is like all right all right so um i guess that brings us to the end of part one of our best and worst of 2017 um if you want some more of me yelling about how great dana scully is uh you can follow, I'm doing this out of order because I want to yell about Dana Scully. You can follow me personally on
0: Twitter at Renata Snacks, uh, And you can follow me personally on Twitter at 14across, where you can see at the moment me raiding uh, houses by how haunted they are. So that's fun. Yeah. Um, if you want uh,
1: more of us as a podcast, you can follow us on Twitter, where we're worst bestseller with no S, because... Uh, The S is for Scully, who is the best. Uh, You can also get us on Facebook or facebook.com slash worstbestsellers, S included. You can subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher and all of those places where you get a podcast from
0: you do subscribe to us on those please take a moment to rate and review us it pops us up a little bit on the charts and makes it easier for people to find us Uh, we also have a good reads group which you can get to by going to worstbestsellers.com our website and clicking on the link there because it's difficult to link to in tiny url format um another way that you can support us that we keep
1: forgetting to mention is if you are an amazon shopper and i know a lot of you Uh, Don't support Amazon, which is very noble and respectable. Uh, But if you do shop at Amazon, you can um, follow any links from our website to Amazon. And then if you buy anything at all, not necessarily, you know, if we link to the devil's advocate and you click that link, don't buy that book because it sucks. But then if you search for anything else at that shopping session, um, we'll get a little bit of a kickback from it. And, you know, that's that's nice, too. It's very nice.
0: Um, We'll be back in two weeks with the end of our uh, 2017 bests and worsts, where we will talk about adult books and comics and graphic novels.
1: Hooray! But for now, bye!
0: Bye!